Good morning, City Life. Good morning, friends, family, guests. We're so happy that you're all here. We're so happy that week 24 or 5 or 3, one of those, uh, they're meeting virtually. And we're still kicking. We're still going for We're still committed and going after Jesus, going after one another, and doing life with, with one another. We miss you all. And we will be together at some point in some capacity very soon. We're, we're praying for that and we're planning for that, but for right now, we're just so happy and thankful for all of you. Today, I just want to jump right on in and jump into our sermon. I'm excited for this one. I'm excited for this story. I'm excited for us to continue our Deepening Our Souls series. But I want to start off with two stories from the Bible. And this is the assignment, okay? There's an assignment to this. In these two stories, there is a detail that you have to pick up on. It's a small, small detail. There's a a little assignment right now. Let's see. Throw it in the comment section. If you catch this detail, we'll give you a couple of seconds. Throw it in there. And and if anyone gets it right, maybe I'll I'll get you a treat. I don't know. A present. I don't know. Uh, It'll be small if I do. Uh, But there's there's this detail that we need to catch. See, we're starting with two stories. And the content of these stories have little to do with the content of our sermon today but it has everything to do with the outcome of today's sermon. And so let's start off here. We're starting off in Luke 22, verse 55. This one's easier. There's only one verse. Luke 22, 55 says this, And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. So this, this is right when Jesus uh, is about to be tried, about to go, and Jesus has already told Peter that he was going to deny him three times, and over the next eight verses or so, three times, three people say, hey, that's, he was with them, he's a Galilean, he's, he's with Jesus, and three times Peter said, no, no, not me, you're crazy, I'm not with that guy. And then as we know, the story continues. Jesus goes to the cross. God's master plan, his master stroke, the culmination of all of human history takes place with this sign of pure love for all of creation that makes no sense, that is still confusing to us. If you ever reach a point where you're like, okay, I get it, I get everything, you need to rethink it because we'll never fully grasp it until we see Jesus face to face. And then after Jesus' death and his resurrection, he goes and appears to the disciples in a story that I love. It's one of the most tender stories in all of Scripture to me. And we, we hop from Luke 22 all the way to John 21. Now in John 21, let me set the scene a little bit. In John 21... Peter, Thomas, uh, some guy named Nathaniel, James and John, and then two disciples who don't even get named, they were fishing. They went back to the life that they knew. They went back to the life that was comfortable to them. They spent all night fishing. You know, that's so easy to read, but imagine the, how much work, how much effort that was. All night they fished, and they caught absolutely nothing. And then as they were packing things up, as they were getting ready to come in, some guy from the shore yells out, throw it out one more time, and for some reason they do. And they get so much fish that is tearing the net that they can't even pull it in, and all of a sudden the disciple who John loves, who uh, coincidentally John wrote this himself and called himself the disciple that Jesus loved, it sounds very fishy to me, 
But the disciple that Jesus loved said, it's him, it's the Messiah, it's the Lord. And Peter, being his dramatic self, he jumps out. He's so rambunctious, he's so over the top. He jumps out, swims to the shore, and to see his friend Jesus, who at last, the last time he saw him, the last time he was with him publicly, he had denied. Three times. He had said, no, I don't know this guy, I have nothing to do with him. And let's just pause here to have a human moment for a second. This isn't just a story on a piece of paper, but let's connect with it a little bit deeply. This man who spent every second pretty much of a number of years with someone he really respected, with someone who he, had, he saw as a great dear friend, who in the process of them being together, he saw that he was much more than just a man, but he was the Messiah that that Israel had been waiting for, and that he had become the creator of everything, the one who they knew spoke everything into existence, not only just became his savior, but became his friend. But then the last time he was publicly with him, three times he said, no, I don't know that guy. Imagine the, the burden, the shame, the guilt. Imagine how much was on Peter's moment, on Peter's shoulders in that moment, how much he was carrying you know, we, I, I hope, I've been hearing this lately, and I hope we all feel it when we realize that we've missed an opportunity to tell someone we know about Jesus, and we realize, and we're like, ah, oh, I missed it. Imagine how uh, irritated and upset we get at that. Imagine Peter in this moment, who he had known the creator of all things, the one he called the Messiah, and he had said no to him three times. Just imagine that. But then Jesus, being the good shepherd, the great physician, our advocate, and all of the good metaphors that we have to explain, explain who he was. He takes this rash, <laughs> over-the-top disciple, and he has a meal with them. He has a meal with everyone present. And, and verse 9 says this. Verse 9 of, of John 21 says this. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid on it out on it and bread and so then Jesus cooks for them crazy to think about how the Messiah who came back from the dead is here he appears to these men after his death and resurrection and he instead of having a great lecture hall speeches he cooks dinner for some of his friends or breakfast he cooks breakfast for some of his friends and they eat and then all of a sudden, Jesus turns to Peter. And he has this beautiful, intimate interaction with him that I think we all get it. But if we miss this one little detail, we miss some of the beauty of this moment. So here, starting in verse 15, it says, When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, free my lambs. Verse 16. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend to my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? He said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. 
Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself, walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. After saying this, he said to him, follow me. Now, okay, we'll give you a couple of seconds. Did anyone catch the detail, the one detail between both stories, Luke 22 and John 21? Did anyone get it? We'll give you a couple of seconds here in the chat. If you get this thing, if you have an eye that is so detail-oriented to scripture, then this is gonna serve you well in life. The one detail I'm trying to solve here, giving you a second without just complete silence. The, the, the secret detail in this story, the thing that makes this beautiful story an intimate story, is the fire. Luke twenty two fifty five says, And when they had kindled a fire, which is really important and hyper-specific, when the fire had died down and it was just embers, it was just some coals. Super detailed, specific Greek word right there. And then John 21 and verse 9, it says, when they, got out on the, when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid on it and bread. To me, this little detail... We could write volumes and volumes about Jesus' love and his ability to reach every single person in this world. You see, Jesus is so in tune, he so knows his friend, he so knows this man, that he is recreating in every way that he can, even its sensory details, for Peter to, to smell the smoke that was in the air when he said no, no to Jesus three times. He's recreating this because he wants to bring Peter back into the moment of his great, probably greatest regret. And Jesus is doing this because he loves Peter. He wants the best for him. He wants the forgiveness that Jesus is giving him to go deeper than the shame and the guilt of that night of saying no to Jesus three times. And so Jesus so knows you, he so knows me, he so knew Peter that he knows exactly what to do to bring us back into these moments in our life, to bring his redemption, to bring his freedom. There was a kindled fire when Peter said no, and there was a kindled fire when Jesus restored him. I love this. I love this detail. Again, this has very little to do with the content of today, but it has everything to do with the life that Peter lived. To, again, this to me, it just shows how capable Jesus is for you and for me of leading us through every detail in our life, every interaction, every person we know, every mistake that we make. And we just go, who else but Jesus can really lead us through all of that? That there is no one who has ever existed who can care for you as good as Jesus. And that list also includes yourself. And so again, this has very little to do with the content. I'm not preaching about fire. Today we're starting Second Peter and there's no mention of fire in here at all. But there is this idea, this one thing, that this man Peter, when he met his Lord and Savior, 
when he spent his years with him and when he denied him, Jesus came back and loved him so much, restored him, forgave him, put him back on the right path. And for decades now, we see that this man grew up, matured in his faith, became unshakable, became all the things we talked about last week, about how Jesus restored him, about how he was established, about how he was founded in Jesus and the gospel, and how he was unshakably strong. And then for decades, this man is telling everyone that he could about this one Savior, this one man, his friend, not just his Savior, not just this one who lives up there in the heavens, but of his friend who was able to bring people back from the dead, who was able to heal every wound, who was able to set up these fires to bring us back to places, to bring us deep, deep healing. And so as we begin again, Second Peter today, let's hear it from a different perspective of this man who experienced Jesus firsthand, who lived with him, who hugged him, who showed him respect, who washed his feet, who had all these experiences and decades later was still telling everyone he could. He was still getting beaten, he was getting stoned, he was getting imprisoned, all for this one man that he lost no passion for him. And it's because of this, this is our big idea for today, that when we live for Jesus, we join his legacy of love. And so today we're diving into First Peter, the first 15 verses. Caleb and Gladys are going to read us our scriptures for the morning. And so before we go into there, actually, let me pray. Let me pray that we can hear these words of this man who had been all about spreading the name of Jesus for decades now, writing to a group of Christians and giving them this legacy of love, what he wanted to be remembered by. And so pray with me, please. Lord, we give you this morning and we ask for you to have your will in it. Holy Spirit, that you would come and empower me, empower the reading of your word, the teaching of your word, the sharing of your word, so that we can all, at the end of this, realize that you are love, that you share your love, that you freely give it, that there's nothing that can separate us from it. Lord, help us to be as dedicated as Peter became, the rash Peter who became this old sage because of you and what you've done in his life. Lord, I pray for the same founding and establishment of our faith as we see in all of the spiritual giants in the history of our church. And so, Lord, we love you. We give you this morning, Holy Spirit. Accomplish your plans. Pray all these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. All right, so let's hear our scripture for the morning. Thank you so much. And so today we are jumping into 2 Peter chapter 1, the first, first 15 verses. And we, we see here that 2 Peter, we're still using this to launch into our Deepening Our Souls series, that there's something so relevant to these words here that empower the way that we live and how dedicated and obedient we are to God out of love, out of commitment, not out of duty or religion but because this guy Jesus is the way, and this man here, Peter, was so convinced that there was no one else like Jesus, 
and we share that same conviction and we want to be spurred into letting Jesus have more of our souls, more of our lives, more of our decisions, more of everything, because he's the only one who can really do well with that. And so our, our first point for today, really, we're going to get some of the context in this, is part number one, Peter's legacy. We're, we're going a little bit backwards today, because really the whole point, the thesis of this letter, is found in verses 12 to 15. I love that Peter touches on two things here. The one is that it's his job to be a reminder, as long as he's in this body, to be a reminder of his friend and Savior Jesus, but then also this this notion of a legacy. So we'll start with the reminder. I love that Peter says, you know what, as long as I am in this body, my job is to remind you, remind the church of who is our Savior, of who it is that we live for. So as a pastor, but also even before I ever became a pastor, I read this and I was like, okay, so as long as I live, our job is to remind one another of what's most important, of the things that really matter, of how to live our lives with godliness. Now, I love this. I had a discussion with my coach and my mentor, Pastor John Soper, who preached for us a couple weeks ago. And we were just talking about how the 20th, the 20th century in the church the main thing was knowledge and rules. You learned as much as you could about Jesus, which is a good thing, it's never a bad thing, but the value of your faith was in only it was in primarily in what you knew. And then thus we created rules to make sure we lived those out. There's nothing bad with boundaries, boundaries are good. But if rules and religion are, are the only thing or the most important thing to us, then we'll never really truly understand the freedom we have in Christ. But that how in the 21st century, it's about, it's about linking obedience to identity. It's like, Jesus, you get to speak so much into my life, so much into my being. You made me, you know me, you love me, you affirm me. And so I'm going to tie myself to obedience to you, to what your teachings are, to what you say to what you did, I'm going to emulate you in everything that I do, or at least that's the goal. And so for us as a church, we should be reminders for everyone. My job as pastor, yes, if I'm not reminding you about Jesus every time I'm with you or preaching, then you should fire me tomorrow. Please don't. But if I stop doing that, then I'm doing a bad job. But for us as a community, every time we're together, we're supposed to be something about us or the way we live or... or push one another in good ways to follow Jesus, to be more and more committed in our MCs or in our calls or just in our walks at the park. That there should be something about Jesus that <laughs> in us that we remind one of each other all the time. But then I also love here the thesis of what Peter is doing here. Is I think in verse 13, I think it right as long as I am in this body to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will will be soon as our Lord Jesus Christ made it clear, made clear to me. See, Peter, had, Peter knows in some way the Holy Spirit told him, Jesus told him in prayer, or he just could read the, the writing on the walls, that his life was going to be ending soon, that he would be killed in the same way Jesus was. Tradition says that Peter was killed, and even church tradition says that Peter was hung on a cross upside down. But he knew that the end was coming, and so what did this... This didn't put fear into him. This didn't say, okay, well, let me preserve 
my life so that I can be preaching a little bit or no. But his reaction was, okay, I need to write something for the church because I've joined in to Jesus's legacy. And I want to leave behind something for the church, for the Christians to remember Jesus by. And so what an important reminder and challenge to you and to me about examining the legacy of our lives. What are we really living for? What are we leaving behind? What are we known for in this life? One of our prompt questions will directly challenge that, will directly cause us to look at that. But I love how, uh, let's take it back to our stories from before, this guy who so experienced the love, the restoration of Christ, that he spends decades telling the world, Jesus is love, Jesus is all about love, you join in his love, and there's no one who can take better care for you. I know this from personal experience, Peter would say. And so here, his dying wish is to tell Christians, join in his legacy, that I want to be remembered as someone who loved the church because Jesus loved the church, and so I wanted to leave this letter. I wish we could stay in here longer, but let's move on to our second point of the day. As we remember about this legacy, what is this legacy all about and how we live it out, Peter starts to talk about that in what I've been calling godly attributes. I love how Peter how the Holy Spirit launched this into Peter's writing of this book. He says, starts here in verse 3, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. We can just stop right there. There's enough there for the rest of the year, really. I love how we're reminded that we have this divine power to pursue life and godliness, that through this knowledge of him who called us, that we can go towards his glory and excellence. And so I just, divine power, we have the same spirit in us that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. And so we have no excuses in this world to be like, oh, I just couldn't do it or I couldn't. We won't be perfect. We will never be perfect. But realize today that we have this divine power in us that isn't ours, that isn't about who you are, but is everything about God. And then I also love, he talks about this knowledge, and this knowledge isn't what we think of knowledge. It isn't just, hey, let's pick up a book, and whatever that book says, it somehow osmosis will make us these better people. But no, it's that this knowledge is something that is lived out and fought for and wrestled with, and it changes the way we live our lives and the, the way that we think, and it transforms us. And so here he goes on to say, make every effort to go after these things. Make every effort to, to put away this corruption that Second Peter talks a lot about, and we'll get that into that next week. And then he starts talking about these attributes, this list of attributes that we see in a couple of places in Scripture. And Peter's like, okay, I, my, this is the legacy that we have to leave behind. I have to talk about these things. Virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection. And so I would love to have a whole series on all of these, but we're going to give it a couple, each a, a moment. But this virtue is this idea that it's this biblical course of thought, feeling and action, modesty and purity. It's that you, you like accept the principles and ideals of the teachings, the life, the examples of Christ. And you try to so put that on yourself, that you so live these things out, that you live a virtuous life. Not, this knowledge, again, is a general knowledge. 
it's much, much deeper than just what you know, but it's this knowledge that you let come into your heart and your mind and your heart. And it's all about this Christian faith and it leads to advancement. That is, it's everything that you need to know for right living. And I, I love how Peter here, he talks about that God has done all the work, but there's a, just like in James, there's a level of human cooperation that we need. So put on knowledge, put on virtue, put on these things, because you play a part in this life, in the life that Jesus has for you. You join his legacy, you don't become a robot. Self-control is, this, is the next one. This temperance. The virtue of one who masters his desires or passions. I, I love that in this. I love that self-control is about you just having such a command, such a understanding of who you are, that you know what you want to live for, and, and all the things that don't align to that, you say, no, it's not saying that it's easy. Self-control is always hard. But that you've allowed Jesus to so change you that you know what you're living for and you live it out. Steadfastness, patience, endurance. It's the characteristic of a person who is not swerved by their sir, swerved from their deliberate purpose, and that our loyalty and to faith and piety by even the greatest trials and sufferings is unchanged. Uh, again, I love I love the messenger that Jesus brings from this story. The disciple who was so crazy and out of control at times, decades later is telling, you know what? Be self-controlled. Be steadfast. Be all the things I wasn't when I was young or when I was living with Jesus. But now I see, and the Holy Spirit has changed me. Be steadfast. You know what? Also be God, go after godliness. It's this reverence and respect, this piety towards God. Having God rightfully over you and say, you know, God, you get to dictate everything about my life. What I do, um, please speak to me, inform me. Let me come to you. You come first. That doesn't sound like the Peter we know in the Gospels. And then we see brotherly affection. It's this love of brothers and sisters. That in the New Testament, it's this cherishing of one another as brethren. As you are my family. It's not just something that we say or a tagline of a church, but it's a spiritual calling that we have to love one another as if we were each other's actual biological family. Because you are, not biologically, but spiritually. First Peter talked about that a lot. And I, I love these attributes. I love how they so influence everything that we are. It gives us no room to hold God at our arm's length and say, you know what, I got this. Just You, you can get 95% of my life. Let me control some of this. Let me have this bubble. But no, this legacy that we're part of, that Peter experienced firsthand. No, Jesus can so take care of you through all of life's struggles that you want to be with him. Put on all of these things. Don't hold anything back. Do make it every effort that you have to do these things. And so one of the really cool things that I've been reading about all of this, one of the things that has really stood out to me, is that this isn't a systematic, exhaustive list. Peter's not saying, okay, you know what? First one, virtue. You understand virtue. Get it under your belt. And then you move on to knowledge. And then once you know everything you need to know, go to self-control. No. 
It's not about that. It's not this list that we get to control, checking off of our list, no. And we see this, it's not so clear in the English, but in the Greek, it, it makes it abundantly clear that all of these things are great and they build up and they culminate with the last one that we haven't even talked about, and it's love, agape love, which is our third point for today. There have been a lot of books written about the different words for love in the New Testament. And there's a lot even more been written on this one specific word, agape. And agape love is this love for God and from God that honestly is one of those things that we will never fully understand until we see him. We, this whole book is about God's agape love for us and for all of creation. And one of the best de uh, definitions of agape love that I saw comes from the Bible Project. You guys should check them out. And they say this, that it's devoting oneself to the well-being of others, no matter their response or the cost. To love is to share in God's own life. That agape love is this action, it's this living with God and other people because he commands us to. And say, you know, no matter what the cost is for me, I will love you. Love is rarely about a feeling. That love is this aligning, intentional aligning of your heart, of your life, of your attitude, of your decisions with the example and the teachings of Jesus Christ. In all of the ways that we read scripture and say, okay, yeah, that's easy. I got that. I can do that one. But then, and also, we have to include all of the ones where like, I don't know if I can do that. Or I definitely can't do that for this person. Or I definitely don't want to do that for anyone. And so, just in the same spirit, I hope as Peter starts this round, I just want to remind us of this ethic of agape love that Jesus left us with. There's not too much new in this sermon, I don't think. But it's a, I hope it serves as a reminder to all of us to live out this love. Luke 6, 31, that talks about this love that you do to others, what you want them to do for yourself. And it goes on to say that if you love with a love that costs you nothing or that you love people, you serve them expecting to get something in return, then that's not agape love. But it's this freely giving love with no expectation of returning. That even if you serve someone, even give up your life for someone and they don't want to do the same for you, I freely give it because I've been so impacted by the life of Jesus. Mark, 30, Mark 12, 31, this, this same rule, the golden rule, do to others as you would want to be done to yourself, that we show this agape love to our neighbors, not only just to God, but this example of agape love to our neighbors. Luke 6.35 goes on to say that, sure, even agape your enemies, it says the agape right there, agape your enemies and do good, lend expecting nothing in return. That God's love is given and there's no expectation of return. That it'll attract people and say, you know what, there's something here, there's something different. Romans 5, 8 also talks about this agape love. It says, God, But God shows his agape love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And 1 John 4, 9. In this, the agape of God was made manifest among us, 
that God sent his son, his only son into the world so that we may live through him. And we've been giving this high standard. We're talking about this legacy of love that Peter joins and calls the church into. Because he experienced this firsthand. He experienced that the Savior who gave up his life, who came back and who restored him. And for decades he was just so consumed with it. I need to show this love to everyone because it'll change the world and it did. And so let, let's wrap this up a little bit. Let's, let's conclude this whole morning so that we know what to do with all of this. Because these are great ideas. How do we, how do we live this out? So let, let me read a couple of verses from our, first, from our second Peter passage. Starting in verse 8. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. I love how Peter, again, here reminds us. He said, you know, if you know Jesus, but you, if you forget these things, it's like you're blind because what did Jesus do for you? Can you even imagine what Jesus did for you? You need to do that for others. And so this legacy of love that Peter experienced firsthand and raised his hand said, I want to be all about this. I want to lead the church into this. When he realized that he was about to die, he said, you know what? I need to leave something behind for the church to have so that they will always be reminded in some way about this legacy of love that we join into, that all of these qualities culminate in God's love. They all are practiced inside this agape love. And so, I, church, I want to bring that to us. What are we going to do with this? Well, we consider our legacy. We consider what it is that we're living for. What is your legacy going to be? Are you building your own life? Are you building your money, your bank account, your house, your family, your career, the status? Are you building all of this? And then our side project here is, okay, maybe I'll put in Jesus somewhere in here. Is our perspective even just... Are we living for our lives and also for the kingdom? Because I don't even know if that's good enough. I don't know if that fits the biblical picture of giving Jesus everything. But is our perspective this, Jesus, I want your legacy to be everything that I'm known for. This love, I want it to be everything that I practice. I want to not only do all these things when it's really easy and loving and there's a lot of bubbles and butterflies included, or am I going to do this with my enemy? Am I going to do this? Am I going to bless the one who's cursing me? Am I going to go after the good of my boss who I'm struggling with? All of these things. Are we going to do it? Is this going to be our legacy? And it doesn't make it easy, but it makes it's a good reminder that man, this is the standard that we've said yes to. Peter was restored by this man, and he spent the rest of his life. I want to be like him. I want to look like him. This is my friend. He taught me all of these things and he restored me. He gave me grace. He gave me this love that I didn't deserve. While I was still his enemy, while I said no to him three times and let him die friendless, let him die alone, I want to tell everyone about what he can do. And so church, I want us to consider how we're living our lives as a church and as individuals. 
can we really say, does our life show that we live out this legacy of love? And that that's the most important thing. Yeah, sure, we might be good people, good people. We might live moral lives. We might have a couple of these virtues really down. God might has, has made you to like really embody some of these. But do we allow all that to make our lives join in this legacy of love, this legacy of agape, of giving up even for our enemies? Are we doing that more and more? Because that's what this world is asking and yearning for, and definitely in this season. Remember, we, we've put on this lens of justice for our church. Everything that we do and interpret has to have this idea of God's justice for the world and for ourselves. And so are we a part of this legacy of love that goes against all of our instincts to serve one another and to give one another the best that we know that we have, which is Jesus Christ. And so let, let's this morning jump on these MC calls and talk about our legacy, talk about what we're living towards, talk about these virtues and what they mean to us. How do we live them out? How do we practice them in a practical way? How do we embody all of these so that our lives look and look more like Christ all the time? Church, I love you. Let's join these MC calls and let's wrestle through what it means to join this legacy of love. And we'll be together soon. We love you all, and we'll talk to you in a bit. Prompt number one. What is the legacy that you will be known for? Also with that, if you were to move away tomorrow, how will, your, how will City Life remember you? Now, because of the nature of Jersey City, most of us won't die here. We understand that. We're okay. We are at peace with that, even though it'll be hard. But if you move away tomorrow... What are we going to know you by? How does, how does your legacy, how will your legacy be left here in our body? Prompt number two. Which virtue comes most naturally to you? Or which is the most challenging? Some of us are made to embody and live out some of these more than others. They come easy to us while some of the other ones are challenging. What is, what is easy for you and what do you say, oh, like, this is going to take Jesus because this is really difficult? Prompt number three. How do you feel when you think about Jesus and Peter as friends and that Peter wanted the whole world to know about his friend Jesus? So let's, let's bring this on a human level too. Peter fell in love with this friend gave his whole life towards letting people know about his friend, not just his savior, not just the Messiah, but his friend. How does that change the way you think that we can minister to the world and experience Jesus at the same time? All right, church, we love you all. We're so grateful for all of you. We'll be together soon. There will be announcements about things in person that we're going to be doing in the next couple of weeks. Baby steps here. Safety is important to us, and so... We love you. Can't wait to see you all. I'll talk to you soon.